Welcome to the Washington Ethical Society. I am Levi Liga, my pronouns are they, them, and I'm the officiant this Sunday. We are here again for a hybrid platform, whether you are on Zoom, here in the hall, or watching this recording later, welcome everyone. We are one community connected across time and space as we gather to affirm our values and commit to a better world. If you are on Zoom, Please check the chat for tips like how to use the closed caption feature and welcome from today's Zoom usher. The chat will stay open through much of the platform service, closing for the address itself and then reopening. We will read, I will read greetings from our online attendees in just a few moments. In-person visitors, stop by the welcome table after platform today to speak to a greeter or to our membership coordinator, Maceo Thomas. We invite you to send him an email at maceot.ethicalsociety.org. If you are a visitor watching this recording later, this invitation is for you as well. You can also fill out a connection form at tiny.cc westconnect. I will now read a few of the greetings that folks have written in the chat. Online friends, while I'm doing that, I welcome you to get a candle if you want to light one during our candle lighting ceremony. Paul says to everyone, welcome. Today's Zoom chat. Um, Robin says, wahoo, good morning. So awesome to have Levi, hi, that's me, um, on the officiating team. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Now, it is good to connect and share this time together. Once you are prepared, I invite you to settle in wherever you are as we continue to gather together. 
I want to begin today's platform by recognizing that this is my first time officiating platform, which is particularly significant to me because Wes has been a big part of my life, and so is the topic of the upcoming platform. I've grown up at West since I was a newborn, and this congregation has been a huge support system to me as I mature into an adult. As a non-binary teen who is learning to navigate a world that does not always welcome me, having a community to depend on has been vital. Coming out has been a gradual process that I will have to go through over and over again as I meet new people, travel to new places, and depending on people's own upbringing and social perceptions, coming out can either be a breeze or riddled with hurdles. How I come out has also evolved as I will continue to evolve. My journey with gender has common ebbs and flows and as I make self discoveries and explore the limitless boundaries of what gender can mean. Connecting with trans and non-binary youth as well as adults who have more life experience than me living as their true selves has been eye-opening and affirming of who I am. Having the guidance and support from trans and cis adults alike has and continues to be what encourages me to live as myself and advocate for myself. Now, that's enough about me. Today, we have the pleasure of hosting our guest musician, Brooklyn, who will be performing the opening song, Climb Every Mountain.
That was lovely. Welcome once again. Each week we read our statement of purpose as a reminder of our shared values. If you are interested in taking a turn to read the statement of purpose, you can sign up at tiny.cc slash read SOP. Today's reader is Joy Bochum. She's been attending West for nearly a decade now. <laughs> Joy is a member of West's teen group, and we're so glad to have her here today. The Washington Ethical Society is a humanistic congregation that affirms the worth of every person. We strive through our relationships to elicit the best in the human spirit. With faith in human goodness, we appreciate each person's unique capacities. We joyfully celebrate together and support each other through life. We nurture a sense of reverence and responsibility for each other and the earth. We warmly invite you to join our community of children and adults as we work for a world where love and justice cross all borders. Thank you, Joy. As she lights our community candle, I invite those of you with candles at home to light yours and for everyone to join in our candle lighting words. May we kindle within us the warmth of compassion, the light of understanding, and the fire of commitment to build a brighter future for all. Thank you. Let's enter now into the centering time of our platform. Each week, we ring this chime in solidarity with people around the world. Today, I'm particularly mindful of the thousands of Californians displaced in the Oak Fire near Yosemite. Each summer, we see the nation's hottest and most unprecedented fire yet. Our warming planet was caused by humans, and, is, and it is impacting humans. As we listen to the chime, let us remember our connection to each other and the world around us. Let us open our hearts to compassion for those who suffer. And let us commit ourselves to the work that calls for our love. For this morning's meditation, I welcome you to reflect. As we do so, I recommend that you make yourselves comfortable, relax your body, and focus on your memories. Recall a time that you felt most like yourself. You may remember thinking, this is so me, or this feels so natural. Think of a moment where you felt grounded in your identity. This can be your gender identity, your cultural or ethnic identity, something related to a passion of yours, or something different entirely. Notice how these memories make you feel.
It is these moments in our lives that encourage us to enter the world as the unique individuals we are. It is our very individuality that allows us to better the world around us. Let us take a quiet moment to attend to our breath, embrace stillness, and enjoy the music that follows.
Today's reading is by Joshua Jennifer Espinoza. She is a published poet and a trans woman. This poem is entitled Autopainophile. My favorite thing is slowly pulling into my parking spot at home, just as the song I've been feeling things to finally ends. All these movie moments and hand cutting wind and half dreams come for me as if sent by some light that wants to watch me survive. In the movies, people like me don't survive, and that is the same in real life. So I make my own movies in my head, and I last to the end, and I am not happy, even in my own fantasy, but I am strong. I am holding the camera and pointing it at myself, so I'm trapped in my own gaze, which is fine, which feels great which is like the taste of my own blood, which is great. I wish I loved my body the way you say I love my body. And I wish the sun would just stay below the horizon forever. Today, we have the pleasure of hearing from Ellen Kahn. She's a longtime member here at WES, and she is here to share the ethical knowledge she holds surrounding the caretaking of trans and non-binary youth. Ellen is the Senior Director of Programs and Partnerships at the Human Rights Campaign, based here in DC. Her work is focused on public education and ad advocacy efforts on behalf of LGBTQ youth and families. So you could say she knows a little bit about what she's talking about. Take it away, Ellen. Good morning, everyone. I'm Ellen. She hurts. Really lovely to see you. Brooklyn, it's not customary for us to applaud it, Wes. I know you're new to us, but I have to say that I'm just blown away by the beauty of the music you're bringing to us. So thank you so much for that. And Levi, your community is very proud of you. And uh, you're both kind of hard acts to follow. So <laughs> starting, starting on some shaky ground here, and it's really wonderful to be here. Um, so my position is, Levi described, my, in my professional role, I, I have to know the landscape out there um, related to LGBTQ youth and families. And for the last five to seven years or so, most of my work has focused on uh, supporting and protecting trans youth. And I just to start out, I'll say trans youth and sometimes trans and non-binary just as a shortcut, but I'm really speaking about trans, non-binary, gender expansive, gender non-conforming, gender creative, gender queer, uh, young people. Um, and in the context of what we're seeing in terms of legislative attacks on trans youth and the sort of rhetoric that is fueling a lot of the, um, the hostility towards trans youth, generally uh, that's aimed at uh, kids who are trans-identified and in some uh, span of a social transition. There's a lot that some of this language might be familiar and some might not be, but I don't mean to exclude anyone when I say trans. Um, generally, I'm speaking about trans and non-binary young people. So I have to stay on top of this topic. I have the pleasure and privilege of working with dozens and dozens, maybe hundreds of 
parents and caregivers of trans and non-binary young people across the country. Um, the experiences right now, um, many of these families uh, would say they are living in terror, they are living in fear. Um, even here in the sort of DC, Maryland area where we don't have to worry about legislation, we don't have to worry about, um, you know, sort of the worst case scenarios that we see in Texas and Florida and elsewhere. If you think about the attacks on trans kids in some of those um, most red states as being sort of like the wildfires, Levi, you just uh, talked about, where if you are living in those states, you are at imminent risk. You are wondering if you have to flee, if you have to go live somewhere else. You're wondering if you can survive where you are. It's, it's, that, it's that terrifying. But we know about fires that ash and smoke travel quite a bit. So you may be in a neighboring state or somewhere else in the country where, again, there isn't an imminent threat through, say, legislators or really cruel governor, but you know that things are heating up and that uh, people are sort of coming after you and your kids. And it's, it's scary whether you're in Texas or whether you're here in Maryland. And I, I can tell you, hearing from parents and families and young people across the country, they are aware of the attacks. They are aware of the kind of things being said on Fox News about who they are. They're aware of the online, um, just some really awful false narratives being perpetrated um, on, you know, online. And for trans and non-binary youth who don't have some of the basic supports that we'll talk about, um, that really exacerbates the, the worry about am I going to be okay? Um, can I be who I am? Will I survive? So I have a lot of slides. Um, I've already gone off script, so there. that's going to happen quite a bit. I always prepare slides, and I tell the audience that I will probably completely ignore my slide deck about five <laughs> minutes in. So let's go to uh, the next slide. So a little bit about um, what do trans kids need? Um, we know from uh, decades now of research and a lot of lived experience. I'm sure some young people in our own community as well as adults could tell us uh, what, they, what they need. So what do we, we are the village, right? We are, we talk about building a brighter future for all. Whether you know a trans or non-binary young person or not, there's a sense of responsibility and frankly urgency right now in all of us finding a place for ourselves in essentially building a force field around trans youth. Again, whether here in Maryland or in some of the more hostile parts of the country. So family acceptance, we know that when a trans or non-binary young person has at least one parent or caregiver who affirms them, who believes them, believes what they're saying and helps them navigate to authenticity, they're gonna do much better, you know, in terms of overall well-being, mental health. No question about it. And so if you are one of those family members, you have an incredibly important role in helping someone find their path and to be you know, in a place where someone like Levi can stand here. That's what we want for all of our young people. Safe, inclusive schools. Um, it's a bit of a patchwork in the DC, Maryland, Virginia area. Some, some schools and school leaders are doing a great job at make sure, making sure all kids feel safe, included, welcome, have access to bathrooms, locker rooms, after school programs, all of those things 
regardless of gender identity. And then there are examples where um, kids are harassed and teased and bullied, where there really isn't anyone um, watching out for them or having their backs. And again, we know that when schools have explicit inclusive policies, when educators have been trained, when they interrupt any kind of transphobic you know, rhetoric, that young people do better. They, and they can succeed socially, academically, et cetera. Um, Gender-affirming care. There's a lot of um, buzz out there about things like, oh, we're you know, performing surgery on six-year-olds. I can tell you that that is uh, completely made up spun um, from opponents, and we'll talk a lot about the sort of strategies our opponents are using, and frankly having a lot of success at in terms of owning a narrative and scaring people. Gender-affirming care, and we'll talk a little bit about that, is simply giving young people the space they need, whether they're four or five or six years old and expressing questions or expressing their gender identity as something other than assigned at birth and um, or whether they're, you know, a young adult who is beginning to feel like, you know, there's, there's something about their gender they haven't quite been able to identify until now. And so across that whole span, supporting what are the social supports. It could be changing your name, pronoun, and your hairstyle. And that's kind of what we call social transition for younger people. When you get toward puberty, there are evidence-based, medically necessary interventions, American Academy of Pediatrics, and you know millions of um, healthcare providers, American Medical Association, Society of Pediatric Nurses, all of the major medical institutions have a standard of care that includes um, suppressing puberty for certain young people, um, hormone, uh, um, cross-hormone medications, and surgery is for older, uh, older teens and young adults who can give informed consent. So, you know, it's really, why am I talking about this? Why, why, why? Because you might be um, at a dinner table with someone who has a, starts talking about this and is not speaking from truth. You might have friends or relatives in some of these more hostile states and you can be a source of influence for them. Uh, pointing them to what is fact versus fiction, um, and just to be informed yourself, because we, there is um, there there's a lot of misinformation out there, and we know that young people need trans and non-binary young people need to be able to play sports and attend after-school programs, join the scouts, whatever it is they want to do, and all of those uh, programs and institutions hopefully are and becoming more so trans or gender inclusive. So these laws to try to ban kids from playing sports, which we'll talk about. I mean, if you think about any, if you happen to be into sports when you're younger, you know, it's fun. You, you get exercise, you make friends, you learn how to work as a team. These are essential skills that young people need to feel a sense of connection, esteem, um, all, all of those things. And no child should be kept out of that opportunity. Um, possibility models, I like to think about, one of the things I hear quite a bit is, um, well, why suddenly all these kids are trans or non-binary? And I think back to when I was maybe, you know, 10 or 15, and I was aware of my um, same-sex attraction, although I didn't have language for it, I didn't know of any people who were gay or lesbian, but were there people who were, you know, LGBT, you know, 40 years ago, 100 years ago, 1,000 years ago? Yes. 
So it's not that suddenly folks are saying, oh, I think I'll be this or that. It's that I began to see, and, our gen and Levi's generation began to see people who, who express themselves authentically, and you, say, you can now say, ah, I see myself in this. You can go on YouTube and hear great stories from young people who are trans, non-binary, queer, who, who have all kinds of interests and experiences, and you can, as a young person, say, ah, the, finally I have some language, finally I have, I have an understanding. So it's not, again, that there's some um, social contagion or this is trendy, it's that, that we finally have more language, we see um, folks on, there's an, uh, you know, a, a, a trans woman won an Emmy this year for her role on Pose, like, you know, the world has changed around us. So I see those as great things. I see us as being a little bit in like the best and worst of times when it comes to, comes to trans youth, um, because they can in fact see themselves, know that what they're feeling and experiencing is real, and then also have to navigate sometimes family members or politicians who want to harm them. Next. So a quick, I think I might have gone a little out of order, but the snapshot, just um, whether we're talking about one out of 100 kids, one out of 1,000 kids, in my opinion, shouldn't matter um, in terms of our caring, our being um, allies, or wanting to be supportive. Uh, I just want to point out, as you can see from the slides, that the number is fairly significant. And as, as I was just saying, there is a generational shift. Um, more, young, more young people today than ever identify as a part of the LGBT community, but specifically trans or non-binary. And so we're really just seeing the shift that young people are thinking outside of a gender construct, thinking outside of the gender binary. I was really fascinated to see that the, um, I don't know if any of you are members of AARP. I am a member of AARP. And they do a member survey every few years and they shared with, uh, we work with them um, HRC and ARP work together on some uh, education campaigns, and they shared that I think 45% of the members who responded to the survey said that they they do not think gender is a binary. You think about these are folks typically over 50. That there is there is more of an understanding, more acceptance. So thinking about our you know if you're in your 20s or 30s, you're likely to know someone who's trans or non-binary. Most of us in this room probably don't or haven't until recently. So and the other thing, um, because we're at a, um, we're in a congregational setting, the research I've seen of trans youth, only 8% feel that they can be safe and affirmed in their uh, congregation, their faith community. So I think it's really important for us to acknowledge um, how evolved WES is, and we've created a safe place. We probably have more to do, but I mean, we're, we, are, we are not in that 8%, so that's really great for us to know. Next. Okay. When I first heard from Trang, and she asked me to do this, we did, you know, she said, we, we really, we know there's a lot going on in legislation. So before I, I do have slides that um, are, I think, visually very uh, compelling and helpful to see. I don't know which slide you're on, but I think it should be the, just the title slide, legislative attacks. Okay, we're good. Synergy, synergy. Okay, so um, we've seen attacks on trans kids from every angle. Um, we've, we're seeing attacks where we're trying to take support away from, from the parents, from medical providers, from teachers, from coaches, even from books and curriculum. And it's, 
frankly, cruel. Um, it is a, an orchestrated attack on trans kids. We'll talk a little bit about who's driving that. Um, it is, as I said earlier, you know, young people and their families are terrified. This is a terrifying time for trans youth across the country. So next, you can just see, we thought that 2021 was going to be the worst legislative session. Um, and we saw, you know, we, we saw um, like an, an increase in bad bills being passed. We saw um, these anti-trans medical care bans. We saw anti-trans sport bills, sports bills start to um, emerge. And you, and you know, what, what had been a trajectory a few years prior where we were starting to be able to pass legislation to protect LGBTQ youth, things started to reverse. This is like a couple years post-marriage equality. Next. Um, and what's driving um, the, is really these bills specifically aimed at hurting trans kids. So talk a little bit about those kinds of bills. Um, actually, if you want to go, just take in that for another second, and then the next slide. Um, this gives you, um, some people can read charts and some people can't. So I can't see the chart. I can't really explain it to you that well. But basically, the, the types of bills that are, quote unquote, bad bills from the perspective of my organization, Human Rights Campaign, and LGBTQ advocates were these bills that are um, uh, aimed at um, hurting kids. So we, the, we had over 300 bills, I think 330 um, by around uh, April this year that had been filed. And over 140 of those were anti-trans bills and you know more anti-trans sports bills, anti-trans medical care bans. And we saw the emergence of what we call bathroom bills. Some of you might remember, I want to say six, five, six or so years ago, I think it was 2017, North Carolina introduced what was the first anti-trans bathroom bill, HB2. Almost everybody in the country paid attention to this. And um, Bruce Springsteen canceled his concerts in, Nor in, uh, in uh, North Carolina and other big names, celebrities, and the NCAA canceled its college tournament. And it was all hands on deck. And it was just, we people understood that this was a completely unfair attack, mostly on trans women, just literally trying to go to the bathroom. And um, we thought that we would not see those bills anymore because our opponents who crafted those bills and thought they would be popular with their base, they just couldn't get enough traction. Um, so here we are, we're seeing the emergence of bathroom bills again. And then we're also seeing um, you know, these education bills that are essentially censorship bills, like the one passed in Florida. Um, we call it the don't say gay and trans bill because it, it, it's more than just don't talk about gay people. It's very explicitly do not talk about sexual orientation and gender identity at all in K through three. And if you talk about it in fourth grade or beyond, it has to be age appropriate, which is very subjective and I think leaves a lot of room for educators to be frankly terrified to even uh, teach at all, right? And so it's, uh, it's a mess. What we hear from folks in Florida, educators, principals, and parents and, and youth is they don't know what to expect when they start school in a couple weeks. The bill went into effect July 31st. But that's a new, that's a newer tactic, these education bills. Um, any of you remember Anita Bryant um, from the 70s? So that was like the early, early days of the anti-gay movement. 
and the, the language about you know, um, grooming, that's come back entirely. I don't know if any of you have heard, but like the anti-Republican, Republican lawmakers on the floor of their Capitol will say, um, if you support this bill to let trans kids play sports, you're a groomer. Like they have completely taken back language that is just you know, awful and very triggering for folks, certainly for my generation. Next. So just in a nutshell, these are the bills that passed, and I'm going to talk about some of the families I know who live and work in these states and what it really means. But you can see that the anti-trans sports bills seem to um, really rile the base. Uh, they're based on a lot of um, misinformation that sort of trans girls in particular are going to take over sports that uh, someone who's actually a boy will decide that they're going to be a girl the next day so they can get the number one spot on the girls' tennis team. This is all made up stuff. I mean, there are literally no examples of uh, trans girls or women dominating a sport. There was a lot of uh, visibility about Leah Thomas, who swims for Penn and won a lot of races, but she can't beat Katie Ledecky, so there's that. So there's just a lot of made up stuff here and it's fear mongering, but I will say that a lot of women of my generation, um, if, if they're not really immersed in this topic and they don't do their homework and they have a daughter, a cis, cisgender daughter who plays sports, this might worry them. They might buy into this, right? Like, oh, my kid's gonna lose out on something. And that's why I want all of us in this room and listening in today to know that Sometimes we have to, you know, have a courageous conversation with someone, uh, fact check a little bit. Um, and I know that from a values perspective, it's, you know, like we don't need to understand everything. We don't need to fully understand the trans experience or the everyday lives of trans children, but we know that as a value, everybody wants to be accepted for who they are. And that's pretty much what we're talking about here. Okay, so uh, next slide. It just, um, to bring this home a little bit more, um, in fact, I believe that two Saturdays ago, there was a drag, drag, queen happy, uh, a drag queen book reading at Loyalty Books in downtown Silver Spring. Um, drag queen uh, book readings are lots of fun and it's great because you know, then kids get to actually have a little exposure to somebody who's a little different. Um, and people were picketing and this is in downtown Silver Spring and I was, I was pretty surprised by that. I also got a little riled up and I thought, well, I get start taking my kickboxing classes. I know that's not very aligned with ethical society, but um, but I was I just I was so I was mad, I was angry, I was hurt. And just to say, like these are the tactics of our opponents are you know penetrating any sort of blue state edges. It doesn't matter where we live, um, because people are online finding community and for folks who are really aligned with far right ideology, um, they feel that that's what they need to do, right? To protect children or to just uh, fight back against the progress we've been making. So anti-trans rhetoric and propaganda on the rise. Um, I mentioned some Republican lawmakers using terms like um, that, that parents who support their trans children are child abusers, um, trans people are terrorists, uh, all, just all kinds of awful things. Um, and the executive overreach I refer to, um, Governor Abbott in Texas and Governor DeSantis in Florida, when they couldn't pass 
the bills they wanted to, in, in Texas, an anti-trans medical care ban, for example, what he did was he, um, he directed the Department of Child and Family Services in Texas to investigate gender-affirming parents and care as child abuse. Now, there were lawsuits filed immediately, there was outrage immediately, but that's what these extreme right-wing folks are doing is if, if it doesn't, if it can't happen through legislation, let me use executive action or regulatory um, action or some other lever that they can pull. So the relentless in, in Florida, DeSantis um, uh, directed the Florida Department of Health and Human Services to put a, a statement out to every licensed professional in Florida, counselors, pediatricians, any licensed health professional. There was a memo from the Florida Department of Health and Human Services that they cannot provide gender affirming care. And again, caused chaos, lawsuits filed, but at the heart of it is what happens to the kid in that state and their family who loves them, What's, what does this actually mean? So we're gonna go to the next slide and we're gonna talk about that a little bit. So um, actually we can go one more slide. I did want to, I just want to tell a short story about someone I know locally here. Um, uh, this is, it's just kind of a, an insight to the journey parents take with their kids. Um, I know a mom in, in Rockville area, uh, she reached out to me a while back and, and was looking for support and community. She's the parent of twins. At the time, the tw I think her twins were 10. They were both assigned female at birth and she said that her, one of her kids was starting to expressed that they're not a girl. And they kept saying to the parents, I'm not a girl, I'm not a girl. So this, I'll call her, her Sue, she and her husband, you know, they get online, they start reading, they start talking to folks and they wanna be supportive, which is great because that is not always the case. And they go back to their kiddo and they say, okay, you're, we hear you that you're a boy and we're gonna, you know, there's this gender center at National Children's Hospital, we're gonna, find the right support, we're gonna you know, start talking to other parents. And about a year goes by and they had supported this kid in starting to gender transition socially, as we said, at that age it's name, pronoun, haircut, clothing, things like that. And about a year later, the same kid who was affirmed and was able to live as a boy, uh, one night at dinner said to their parents, um, you know, you're, I love you so much, you're both so supportive. Um, I, I, I didn't know how to say this, but when I was saying to you that I wasn't a girl, I wasn't necessarily saying that I'm a boy. <laughs> like I wasn't really, I was exploring, I was journeying. And so this family sort of together learned that Jay is non-binary and is, is on, a, on a unique gender journey. And I, the reason I'm sharing that story is that, you know, we, there's not one way to be trans. There's not one way to be non-binary and everybody's on their own journey. You know, I know many non-binary people who have, who are not androgynous, for example. And I know, you know, some people will say, well, what do you mean you're non-binary? Like you're, you have a beard and you're wearing a bow tie. And it's like, it, it's not, it, I don't have to perform my gender any particular way for you to, you know, say it's okay that I'm, for you to like affirm that I'm non-binary or trans. So it's really, you know, the important thing is listening to kids, following their lead, giving them space, 
um, because it is a journey. Some kids know from, I think about Jazz Jennings and if any of you remember watching Jazz Jennings on Barbara Walters about 14 years ago, she was the first child I think anyone in our generation knew of who was trans. You know, they, they were super brave to go on Barbara Walters. They, they, used, they used an alias that's not their real last name um, and told the story. And Jazz was one of those kids who, from the time she was two or three, was expressing pre-verbally and then verbally, I'm not a boy, I'm not a boy, I'm not a boy. And that is, that is one path that many young people have. It is a very deep gender dysphoria that they experience at a very young age. And for other kids, there's not so much dysphoria. For other kids, you might be 12 or 14 or 16 before you have any sense that your gender is something other than assigned at birth. So I just like to remind folks. Um, okay, so stories from the field. I just wanna, I don't have no idea how I'm doing on time. Oh, not so good. Okay, so I'll, I'll just tell two, two quick stories, um, or maybe one. So uh, I was uh, at a, a work event um, a couple months ago. I'm gonna talk about Zandra. I was at a work event a couple months ago and I, I got there and other folks were coming in and one of my colleagues came in a few minutes after me and he walked right up to me with this eagerness to tell me something and he said, you, you just won't believe what just happened to me. And he goes on to tell me that he got in a lift and the woman driving the lift, you know, they were making small talk and the talk got bigger and she shared with him that she left Arkansas in March to come to DC. She's the mom of two kids, one of whom is a trans boy. Arkansas is one of the states that passed an anti-trans medical bill. And even though it's being litigated, this mom, and I know this because we have since connected and, um, and I've gotten to know her better, single mom from just outside Little Rock, putting herself through law school. Um, she, describes, she describes herself as a refugee from Arkansas in her own country. That's what I was saying earlier. People, it is, it is too hot to stay, right? It's too scary to stay. Most people really can't leave or really don't want to leave, but it's a conflict every day. And she said it was the worst financial decision of her life to leave. Um, probably, you know, she might've been the first person in her family to break the cycle of poverty, but the, any idea that her son who had finally landed a pediatrician, a counselor, a support group of other trans kids, any question that he would have that indefinitely was um, just you know, intolerable to her. And she picked up and left. So now she's here in DC, she's trying to resettle herself. And that's real for many, many families. Um, just that you, you either leave because you're terrified that your kid won't get the care they need, or you stay and you live, you know, you live in terror every day and hope that the litigation is favorable to you or you have the means to cross state lines or whatever the case might be. Sounds a little familiar, right? Um, sort of, you know, uh, legislating what you can do with your body, what kind of medical care you can get. Uh, that, you know, it's a lot of the same uh, playbook. I think um, I might, so let's just go to the next slide. I have a lot of stories to share, but You'll have to take me out for coffee and, and I'll share, share those stories with me. So I know the, the concept of enemy doesn't, um, this is a slide I use when I go speak to like pediatricians. And so we don't really, we don't have enemies, right? We don't really have enemies. We have opponents though. And I, I, what we know about um, the folks behind all of these bills that I talked about, you know, hundreds and hundreds of bills, 
more of which are coming to a town near many of us pretty soon. Um, Amara Jones is a, a trans journalist and she, she refers to the anti-trans hate machine. There is indeed an anti-trans hate machine. There are several very well-funded organizations noted here who are kind of the center, the nerve center of most of it, but there are other um, very wealthy Republicans who um, are, are funding this work. They are telling the, the Republican legislators in their state to introduce these bills. They are honing the language on the bills to make sure that they get around any of the sticky points where they're learning which are gonna pass, which are not, what worked in Arkansas, what worked in Florida. Um, they, are, uh, they are very focused on school board elections, um, not only in these red areas, but places like Montgomery County and other, other areas. They are trying to take as many school board seats as possible so they can address things like curriculum that's inclusive and uh, access to bathrooms and things like that that young people need. Um, and then again, looks, if you dare listen to Tucker Carlson or any of those right-wing pundits, they are so focused on trans kids and just repeating, repeating, um, you know, the fa false narrative. There is a Christian nationalist gender essentialism that is behind this belief system of theirs that you're, you're born what you, that there are two sexes, you're born male, male or female, and you conform with whatever that you know expectation is, and that's it. And any parent that gives their space to kids to do anything else, any pediatrician who um, supports a kid who's trans or non-binary, that, that all of those people are then the enemy. We are the terrorists, we are gender ideologists. So we have a for formidable opponent, and again, the more informed we are, next, um, what can we do, right? That's a big question. So on the next slide, just some tips, right? Know, what do you know about, uh, know who kids, kids know who they are, trust them, believe them, um, keep, stay, stay informed, stay knowledgeable. Jeff shared with me um, uh, an opinion piece in the Washington Post today that's kind of tied to this topic. Great, re that's, we should be reading, we should be learning, we should be talking to families um, who have trans or non-binary kids, how can we support them? Um, we know what gender affirming care is since that's where a lot of our opponents focus and say, well, we're doing this to kids, we're doing experiments on kids. We're actually not, we're not at all. This is all evidence-based uh, um, in, the, in the best interest of, of young people. And I think that we should probably just go to the last slide, which has a quote on it because our time is short. Um, I just like this quote, so I wanted to end on it. Being human is an ongoing process. How we are born isn't how we die. We all change, grow, and evolve to be our best selves. That's actually one of the messages that was tested with moderate to Republican voters around trans kids, and it really resonated. So I thought I'd share it with you because you can try it with your Republican uh, cousins, aunts, and uncles uh, the next time you see them. And uh, I think with that, I will turn it back over. Thank you very much. Thank you, <clears throat> Thank you so much, Alan. After some music, we'll have community sharing time where you can write into the chat or speak into the microphone about what resonated with you 
in this platform. And this time in between, you might prepare by reflecting on a personal experience or an activity here at WES that illustrates the values we are uplifting today. As we contemplate, rest, and reflect, let us experience the beauty of the musical response from Brooklyn.
This is the time when we add our own voices to the morning, sharing our reflections on the platform or what resonates in our own lives. For online participants, I invite you to share in the Zoom chat or in the comments if you are watching this recording later. I'll start with Zoom comments. We'll accept some comments at the microphone from in-person visitors in the middle and then return to Zoom participants in the end. Amy Foltz says, our cats are enraptured by Brooklyn's beautiful music. <laughs> John Dakin says, support for trans clients is an important part of my mental health practice. I'd like to do more. Thank you, Ellen, for your address today. Sue Jay says, thank you, Ellen, for a powerful and important platform. Can you please post the list of kids' books on the topic that you showed in one of your slides? Sonia Coopers says, thank you, Ellen. That was fantastic. For anyone who doesn't already know this yes, yet, Wes's scout troop is trans-affirming and has many LGBTQ plus members. And Maceo Thomas says, I also just want to note that we will have a newcomer Q&A during virtual coffee hour, which I will mention more about later. Now, let's turn our attention to commenters in the hall. Please line up with plenty of personal space at the stationary microphone. We will hear a few brief comments before returning to our participants online. I welcome you to take off your mask if that is what makes you comfortable. State your name and your pronouns. Go ahead. Oh, good. Hang on. Good morning. Uh, Jeff here. A um, couple of things. Taking off my glasses helps me read a bit, so I apologize. Um, first things first, Levi, you did an absolutely wonderful job this morning as a fish here. I really look forward to seeing you again in this role, and uh, again, kudos, great job. Uh, how strange that Ellen should out me as a reader of the Washington Post. Uh, I did bring the article up here. Uh, if you look at the post online, it's in the Sunday Opinion section, um, and the article is entitled, Trans People Shouldn't Have to Hide to Help Democrats Win. Uh, the author is Jennifer Finley Boylan whose credits are listed as a professor, excuse me, professor of English at Barnard College of Columbia University and a fellow at Harvard University's Radcliffe Institute for Advanced Study. And there were some quotes in the article that I found infuriating and alarming regarding the GOP's stance on um, trans people. Uh, the article says, quote, in June, the Texas GOP released its party platform, defining gay experience as, quote, abnormal, unquote, and opposing, quote, all efforts to validate transgender identity, unquote. In March, Robert Foster, a former Mississippi state lawmaker who ran for governor in 2019, tweeted that people who support people like me, quote, need to be lined up against a wall before a firing squad to be sent to an early judgment, unquote. And one other, this month, a school board candidate near Pensacola, Florida, a city in which I have a great deal of familiarity, 
familiarity, said doctors who treat transgender youths, quote, should be hanging from the nearest tree. Obviously, hate has become once again fashionable. I, I can't claim to have a really much of a direct experience with trans people, uh, but I'm certainly willing to listen. And if we can't do anything else, at least adopt the first part of the Hippocratic Oath that says, first, do no harm. Good morning. You're very nice, illuminating, and uh, very educating. Uh, lecture. Thankful to Alan for that. Thanks to Brooklyn for the wonderful music. Brooklyn is one of the most beautiful girls in the Washington DC area. I have known Brooklyn before she transitioned. Uh, we do know that we cannot expect good from the generally old bus, which is the GOP. But my heart, you see, when your enemy attacks you, you, you know the enemy will attack you. So, but when the friend attacks you, that becomes more problematic. I think there has to be more education for the feminists who come and, and protest against trans rights. It is happening in the gay pride marches in London. And even here, the Tulsi Gubad, Tulsi Gubad, she was a house member, and I used to like her. And there I see her video about protecting women's sports, pathetic. Hey there, everybody. Um, just take my mask off, I guess. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Thank you to Ellen. Thank you to Levi. Uh, I'm just—it's an honor to be here with you all today. Um, what a great, uh, great place this is, and it's a beautiful piano. It's a Steinway, so I particularly love that uh, make of piano. I just wanted to briefly just share uh, something about uh, the music and about myself. Um, so the pieces I'm playing, I played today, two of them were original pieces. Uh, I made an album, I had it copyrighted, and I'm working on trying to do something with it eventually, uh, slowly. And um, the, the first piece, Song for Jade, uh, was about my best friend, uh, and he um, pretty much uh, saved my life. You know, I uh, coming out as a trans woman, you know, and I'm in my 30s, and so I came out just a few, year, a few years ago, and it was um, very difficult for me. I lost a lot of family and a lot of people, a lot of what Ellen was telling today, kind of like, you know, the, the, the hostility we experience as trans women, uh, a lot of that happened, and uh, I lost friends and family, and so it was hard to navigate, but, you know, my... Um, higher power, uh, the universe, brought to me a, um, you know, wonderful best friend who just uh, accepted me and that was much easier, so that was the song for him. Um, and um, the uh, other piece is Shining Through the Darkness and that was also about, you know, it was about shining through the darkness of transphobia and intolerance and discrimination. 
Um, and uh, just a note on the, the trans youth, uh, it's so awesome to you know have Levi and to have the stories uh, that Ellen talked about today. Um, you know, I, I just want to share, I come, you know, coming out, um, you know, older as opposed to, you know, being, um, uh, you know, a teenager and everything. This it was, it was, um, something, you know, I just, there's trans awareness in childhood, then there's trans awareness a little bit older and in my situation. And so for me, uh, you know, access to medical care, you know, medically transitioning was vitally important, um, up to including surgery. And that was enormously important to me. And it's made a little bit easier because of my age. You know, I have more agency because I'm an adult. But, you know, like Ellen was saying, the, the, the youth, they don't have as much agency and independence. And um, so I just hope that, um, you know, that all the work that Wes is doing here and the work of the Human Rights Campaign and Ellen, that, that will uh, help and we will see a change in our society for the best of, of trans youth. Um, thank you so much. Hi, Perry, he, him, his. Uh, Longtime West members may remember that Don Montagna uh, sometimes would give platforms lasting 40, 45, 50 minutes. Ellen, I could have listened that long today. You had so much important and firsthand information to share about what is perhaps the central value here at West, the inherent worth and dignity of every person, uh, or as I like to think of it, no second-class citizens. This is just such a vital issue for us and our community. Uh, kudos again to our officiants, to our musician, to our speaker. Um, as an officiant, I will confess that when we were first uh, encouraged to give our pronouns at the beginning of the platform, I was kind of puzzled and I thought, why am I telling people how to talk about me to each other? You know, if you're talking to me, it's just you. But I pretty quickly came to the realization that if it is a signal to trans and binary people that they are welcome here, I am all for it. Thank you all very much for your comments. Let's return to Zoom and see what else has been added to the chat. Paul says, good talk, Ellen. It gave me some more language to use. It also occurred to me that gender is multi-factor and non-invariant, not an invariant. Madeline Lyden says, thanks for that. I transitioned myself in my 30s and it felt impossible. I can't imagine how much harder it'll be when you're also dealing with growing up. Cynthia Goodman says, such a necessary discussion. Thank you, Ellen. Rajesh says, I really appreciated the integrity of the platform. Trans youth, trans musician, and Ellen, who is an expert in this important issue. Thanks to all. Thank you all to thank you to all who shared their thoughts and attention. 
Just as we share our perspectives in this community, so too do we share our resources and gifts. Here at West, we split all undesignated gifts in the Sunday collection between our operating budget and a fund dedicated to justice and compassion. This month, the fund we're sharing half of the organization with is Family and Friends of Incarcerated People. FFOIP is an organization whose primary mission is to foster community support that effectively meets the needs of today's at-risk children and families of those incarcerated. It operates solely to promote charity, literacy, public safety, and to avoid intergenerational incarceration. FFOIP serves DC area children of the incarcerated and at-risk youth by engaging them in social, cultural and youth development activities through various projects, programs, and events. They believe in the concept that it takes a village to raise a child, just like here at West. Let's all take a moment to prepare to respond to the invitation to generosity. For those who are able to respond, there are a variety of ways to give. If you are someone who gives by text, the number for that is 202-335-1885. As you can see on the slides. Another option is to go online to the donate button on Wes's website, ethicalsociety.org. You can place cash or a check in the basket in the back of the hall on your way out, and you can always send a check by mail. Thank you for your generosity, and we will now receive your gifts and the gifts of music.
Thank you so much to the many people who helped create this morning's time together. Thank you to our staff, including Ndara Miles, Robin Kravitz, Maceo Thomas, and Tom Hutton. Thank you to the interim music coordinator, Leah Morris, our guest musician, Brooklyn, and the West Chorus, which we'll be singing along with in a few minutes. Thanks also to John and Abby Dakin, who created our slides. Thank you to the stage manager, Denise Howell, Zoom chat usher, Paul Baker, and tech team members, Patrick McNeely, John Lika, and John Pfeiffer. Thank you to the in-person greeters, Shayla Bokum and Susan Runner, and to Judy Ohm, who will host the West Coffee Hour after platform. At the conclusion of the platform, please join us for social hour in person, around the foyer and on the patio, or virtual coffee hour on Zoom. Thanks also to those who are leading and supporting our work in the weeks to come. You can find information about opportunities to connect in the Sunday links or news and notes emails and on the calendar page of Wes's website. I want to remind everyone that the strength of the Sunday Ethical Education for Kids, or SEEK, offerings next year will be dependent on volunteers. If you are interested in assisting to make SEEK flourish, please email Ndara at ndaram at ethicalsociety.org. Side note about SEEK, I'm a product of SEEK, and if you want a kid like me, you should help out. <laughs> we hope you will join us again next Sunday. Our platform speakers will be West member and therapist John Dakin, joined by mental health advocate Rachel Calm Whitman to explore decolonizing healthcare. To attend a platform in person, please RSVP at tiny.cc slash platform reservation. You will need to bring your vaccination card or a picture of it, or you can tune in on Zoom as we continue hybrid platforms for this foreseeable future. For now, let me thank you all for being part of Platform today and invite you to join in our closing song, The Fire of Commitment.
For a few brief reminders before we leave, if you are new to our community, please send an email to our membership coordinator, Macy Thomas, and introduce yourself. To reach virtual coffee hour, point your browser to tiny.cc slash westcoffeehour. And now I invite you to join me in our closing words for the month. Let us go out into the week ahead with compassion, understanding, and commitment, inspiring and being inspired to ethical living for our hearts and for our quest for a better world. Again, thank you for joining today's platform. We look forward to connecting with you soon.